0: word and so Lord would you just encourage him today strengthen him as he brings your word to us may we be uh, blessed and uh, may we also be a blessing to him be with his family be with Tiffany and the kids and be with the Hope Fellowship Church Lord that you would encourage and strengthen them today as they worship uh, today without Bobby and uh, we pray this in Jesus name amen well good morning good morning Oh, pre-K, please. You're. A... Well, I love it. You guys are much like Hope Fellowship in that even with the song going, you couldn't stop greeting and talking and fellowshipping with one another, it takes me sometimes five, even ten minutes to pull our church back from greeting time. Um, But it's a good ten minutes. Oh, so sad to leave. You gonna stay here with me? All right. All right, hey kids, so do me a favor, hold off on the crayons for now, at least let me get through the introduction, I'm going to tell you why in a second, uh, well, just to begin with, we're talking about Corinth, and what do we know about Corinth? It is Sin City, right? So no pictures yet, please. Let's 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 wait. Let's wait. Um, I understand you guys were have been in Corinthians. Uh, uh, Chris, is, is your whole team preaching through Corinthians? No, just you've been in Corinthians? Okay. Uh, and man, it's just been so interesting as as being, you know, six years ago, uh, we started planting. I started a church plant down in the Newburgh, Dundee, Beaverton. It's it's kind of this outskirts of Portland area. And I was on a plane and I was talking to someone um, and it was another pastor. And I told him what I was doing. He's like, oh, Corinth 2.0, huh? But here's the thing, it's, it's not just Christians who know that the Northwest is a dark place. I was on another plane recently, sitting next to a different gentleman, and, and I told him, yeah, I live in Portland. He goes, man, Portland has more strip clubs per capita than any other city. He's not a believer. He's not a Christian. He has no reason to know this. What about Seattle? Seattle? What's Seattle like? What's Portland? What's, look what, where we live. But guess what? That was Corinth. Where does God call his church? Where does God call his church? What did he tell Peter? Peter, I tell you, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Whose gates? The gates of hell. Who's going? The church. I am convinced God has called you here, has called Hope Fellowship to Portland, has called you to Lacey, to Olympia, to the Seattle area, to be His church, to press up against the gates of hell. That is what we do. We take ground. One soul at a time. And we've been in this interesting past two years, have we not? Man, it, you, you just, you sense the fear in society all around you. You could just, you sense it. But also, we as a church, I mean, let's just, just think about this for a second, church. We are living in a time where cultural Christianity does not prevail And it's so easy. My wife has been a, she was a public school teacher for almost 20 years. And so the whole tide of gender identity, sexuality, she's seen that from the beginning. The whole tide of the racial issues. How how does the media portray Christians? Aggressively against, aggressively in opposition to biblical Christianity, we've we've been in it. We've seen it, right? And and let me just let's just be honest. And I'll be honest with you. As I've seen this tide. As I've seen this wave forming, it it has been a thought in my mind Dear Lord, should I move? Should I leave? At what point do I leave? Because the fear just raises. The fear has risen in me, in my wife. And it causes us, fear causes us to make decisions that aren't based in faith. Now, the name of today's sermon is to shake the dust and faithfully remain. And and listen, let me just say this, and I'll say this now, because I understand we're, we're commissioning some people today, right? You're sending people out from your church body today who are moving, right? We want to send them out with grace and peace that God's spirit would continue to lead them and take them where they're going. I'm still not okay with you leaving, Dan. That's because I love you. And I still need to beat you at ping pong. But here's the thing. You leave because God calls you. You don't leave because you're running away from something. You leave because you're running to something. So the question today is, what does it look like to shake the dust and faithfully remain? Here's the context, right? Paul's on a second missionary journey. I know you're not in the book of Acts. We preach expository sermons as well. We try to go through books. I know that's what you're doing, but guess what? You got me. I'm a guest preacher. Ha ha. (laughs) I get to do what I want. Um, Paul's on his second missionary journey. Uh, And this was his pattern. He would go from from town to town. He'd reason in the synagogues. He'd reason in the marketplace. This was customary for traveling rabbis. Paul was previously known as a devout Pharisee. He had stuttered. Stuttered? That's me. He had studied under Gamaliel, a famous rabbi and academic. Paul's missionary pattern was this. He'd go preach in the synagogue. He'd gather a following. The Jewish leaders would get jealous. Then they'd drive him out of the synagogue. Paul would shake the dust off his shoes, his sandals. And then he'd go to the Gentiles. The Jews would then incite people against Paul. And some Gentiles would be incited against Paul. They'd create a mob against him. The government got involved. Paul was beaten. He was imprisoned. Him and his team. Then they'd release him. The disciples would, listen, listen, the disciples would rejoice. They would rejoice that they were worthy to suffer for the name of Christ, that they were worthy to be beaten, that they were worthy to be imprisoned, that they were worthy to be oppressed, that they were worthy to be afflicted. Friends, everywhere they went, trials, persecutions, beatings, arrests, public humiliation followed. And yet Paul was not dissuaded. He had counted everything as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. That he may share in his sufferings. That he may become like him in his death. That by any means he may attain the resurrection from the dead. This was about Knowing the person, Jesus Christ. That's what his life was about. Hey, may it it be so with you and I, amen? May it be so. Would you stand and open your Bibles to Acts 18? I know you as well as I and our church at Hope Fellowship, we stand in honor of God's word. If you need to sit, that's fine. But we're going to read Acts 18, 1 through 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded that all the Jews leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, and for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he He shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house, get this, was next door to the synagogue. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Acacia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions and about words and names and your own laws, see to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, and then he took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him, Priscilla. And Aquila, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we want to be a people obedient to your word. We want to learn, oh God. From what your divine word would teach, we want to be a people of faith. We want to to be your church that... Presses against the gates of hell, Lord, that we may save, that you may save through us. Oh God, give us a passion for our cities. Give us a passion for your gospel. Oh God, teach us what it means to shake the dust and remain. Amen. You may be seated. So just if you, if you don't know me, I'll tell you now, my, my congregation knows this. I'm a bit of a weepy pastor. I don't intend to be. This is just what God did. I, I just, one of those thorns in the flesh that keep you humble. Um, so for Father's Day, my wife gets me three handkerchiefs. Like, okay, honey, get your point. You are called to be a person on mission. Amen? Paul was a man on a mission. He had life, a life on mission. What was his mission? To preach. Man, to persuade. It says in the text, to persuade Jews and Greeks that Jesus was the Christ. That is what your mission is. Go, therefore, into all the world, right? Right? baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. And I am with you, even to the end of the age. You don't do this in your own power, you don't do this in your own strength, but you do this in the power and the strength and the presence of Jesus himself, who is resurrected from the dead. So Paul shows up to Corinth and Aquila and Priscilla, they were recently expelled from Rome. Why is that important? It kind of just tells you where they are in history. Rome is heating up. Rome is understanding that there's this trouble happening within, within the Jews. And it's mostly them, and they're like, well, you know how we get rid of these fightings and these things? We just shove them out. We just push them out of Rome. They're not here anymore. So here come Priscilla and Aquila. you can sense, again, that the temperature is just turning up little by little by little. And by the temperature, I mean persecution. So Paul runs into Priscilla and Aquila. They make friends. They realize they're both Christians. Right? They partner up. And you see in verse 5, what was Paul doing? Paul was occupied with the word, and he was testifying to the Jews that Christ, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Mashiach, was Jesus. And friends, this is the foundation of all of Christianity. This is, where that, this is why the Sunday school answer rings true, Right? What's the question? I don't care. What's the answer? Jesus. Right? It is all about a man. A God-man. I mean, just think about how crazy that is to the world. This isn't moralism. Listen, Christianity is not a self-help book. It, this is not deistic. This isn't some kind of deistic moralism or th- therapeutic deism where God is just going to help you get better by better by better so you can be this glorious person. That is not the center of Christianity. You, the fruit of the Spirit that happens in you is a result of your, view, of your beholding, of your knowing, of your loving God in the face of Jesus Christ. Your beautification is second, third, third. To beholding the beauty, the glory, the power, the majesty, the wonder of God in the face of His Son. I had a conversation with a guy, and I and this is a guy I know. He's one of the guys at our church, and many many of you Man Camp guys, Man Camp, Man Camp, many of you Man Camp guys know him, Scott Scott Panita, the tree guy, curly hair, was roping people up in the tree, right? Like he has made it his mission, his mission in his tree business, to pull guys in to which he can share the gospel. So the, one of the guys he has helping him right now on Saturday, the guys that declared I'm not, Satanist, maybe. He said things like that. Scott's like, I'm really not sure he's a Satanist. He's more atheistic. He grew up in the church, but it was a cultural Christianity. And he thought it was all about moralism. And I'm having this conversation with him yesterday. And he's saying, because they were doing work at my church. And he's saying, yeah, you know, uh, I really didn't really like Christians until I met Scott. You know, Scott completely changed that view for me. Yes. When, right? He said, you know, I studied a lot of religions, you know, and it's just so interesting that, you know, there's a lot of religions with the founder. Didn't, they, they didn't really think they should be worshipped. Buddhism, for one. Siddhartha Buddha didn't think he should be worshipped. He had all these points of, you know, this is what it looks like to live a good life. And people took those points, and then they ended up worshipping him and deifying him. He didn't see himself as God. I turned to him, and I have a relationship with him at this point. Like, I made him a little coffee, and I drew this thing. He's got this awesome beard, right? Brought him some coffee. Like, we're we're buds. Like, no, literally, I, I shake his hand. I even kind of give a man hug, you know? And I said you know the crazy thing is Jesus did. I, I just think about how mind-blowing our Christianity is. We believe that a man is God and we worship him. He said I am, he said he is the son of God. That's what Paul was saying. That's what Paul was telling the Jews. That's what Paul was preaching to the Greeks. Jesus says, I am God. When he calls him the anointed one, he speaks of him as the Messiah. And he understood and taught from the scriptures that Jesus was in fact God. This was his mission. The summation of his whole life is the glory of the Son of God. Why is that so hard? I mean, let's just put this in perspective real quick. If a man was here, and he said, I am God, worship me, what would you do? Throw some rocks? That's what the Jews did. Rightfully so. That's blasphemy, right? But if that man healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, raised the dead, If that man, by all accounts, was crucified, died, and buried, as we just said, but he did not stay dead, he rose from the grave. Amen. And that man says, I am God. Do you believe him? That is what we preach. That is what we teach, and it changes everything. And here's why. Look, it is so hard to say, to point to someone else and say, glorify this person, this son of God. He is God. Why? Because we all want to glorify, let's just be honest, ourselves. Why is it so hard to accept that that there is a man who is God? Because if he is God, then we submit to him. Then we worship him. We don't build our own shadow, right, man, cat men? We turn and we look at the sun and we behold the son of God in all his glory. Friends, is your life on mission? Do you love the son of God? Do you, do you behold him? Do you seek to behold him and know him and adore him? Is he the king of the cosmos? Who you love will determine what you do. Who you love will determine who you live for. Who you love will determine who you serve. Who do you love? Your life will be on mission. It will be a mission of and for your greatest love. That's the first question this morning, church. What's your life about? What's your mission? There's only one way to know. Who do you love? What happens next? Verse 6 And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. He shook the dust. What is shaking the dust? What does it mean to shake it off? Sorry, I got in trouble the last two weeks for giving song titles. I guess I did this too. <laughs> I can just see my wife rolling her eyes. She sits right about here. No Taylor Swift. Okay, check. <laughs> to shake the dust is to declare the warning. It's to declare that the warning has been given and you will be held accountable for what you know. Who did he shake the dust towards? Pharisees, Jews, people who already had the word, right? Okay? It's a demonstrable sign that they understood that the prophet has done his job and his message was rejected. And God... Will have his full and perfect judgment upon the earth. To shake the dust out of clothing is to remove from the prophet every dust molecule of responsibility, for God will judge every dust molecule that rebels against his sovereign rule. We see two examples in Scripture. The one we're most familiar with is to shake the dust off the feet, off the sandals. What did Paul do? He shook the dust off his garment. To shake the dust off the feet is to declare the warning. The warning had been delivered, and now I move on. Now I leave. Now I go. Notice, Paul did not shake the dust off his feet. The shaking of the dust that we're referring to is seen in Nehemiah 5, and this is what happens here, is the nobles of Israel, upon the return from the Jews, of the Jews to Jerusalem, were oppressing the poor. They were making them uh, leverage their property, their houses, their vineyards, in order to buy grain and stay alive. An unjust scale is an abomination to the Lord. Oppressive business practices. Oh, you shrewd businessmen, may you be known, Christian, to be a generous businessman. Oh, that the Christians would be the ones who are generous. Isn't that what the gospel does? Isn't that what the gospel does? My life is a mission to make the Son of God known. It's not a mission to increase my balance sheet. Who cares? It's going to burn. Nehemiah addressed them. He confronted the nobles and instructed them. First, he just called it out. He said, look men, look what you're doing. And they could not respond a single word. Mark Nehemiah 5 in your notes. Go back, read it, look at it. And he told them, return the property, lend without interest, restore the people from their servitude. Then what did he do? He shook the garments out. You've been told. You've been warned. And here's what that represented. It was a demonstrative sign by Nehemiah that God would shake out every man from his house and his labor who did not keep the promise that they made to restore to their own brothers... Their property, wages, and interest they charge, if they keep the people in slavery, keeping them from their home and the fruit of their labor, the nobles would then be shaken out from their house and from their business. Why is that important? Well, this is in essence what Paul was doing. In essence, Jews, you are withholding from the people of Israel the promise of salvation. You are keeping them in slavery, in spiritual slavery. The Son has come to set them free. The Messiah has come, and you would keep them bound. You would keep them enslaved to you and oppress them for your servitude. You nobles of Israel, you are not the good king who sets the prisoners free. Jesus is the king who sets the prisoners free. And if the Son has set you free... You are free indeed. Now Paul added one more Old Testament reference here to this pronouncement upon the Jews at the synagogue. He declared, your blood be upon your own head. This is a a reference to Ezekiel 33. Write it down, put it in your notes. God declared Ezekiel the watchman of the people of Israel. I always kind of wondered what that reference was because I see you know these all these Christian schools have the mascots, the one's the watchman. I'm like, ah, cool. Now I know. As a watchman, you deliver the warning to the town when invading forces or peril come. If the watchman blows the trumpet and warns people and they don't listen, their blood is on their own head. They bear the responsibility for it. If the watchman does not blow the trumpet and warn the town, the blood will be required of the watchman. The watchman is responsible. God uses with analogy with Ezekiel, and he said this: Warn the wicked. Warn the perishing. We must warn them. If the people do not listen to your warning, shake the dust from your garments. He will bear, they will bear the consequence, but you will preserve your soul. Church, we are to be people who blow the trumpet. I, I'm driving by here and I see love is love. We're celebrating Pride Month, right? Not we, the culture. Is it love, is it love to disassociate yourself from people, is it love, is it love to step away from them, to refuse relationship to them, is it love, is it love to disconnect yourself in such a way that your warning means nothing? Is it love just to continue in a state of relative peace? We're, just, we're not going to have conflict about this, okay? We're just not going to talk about it. Is it love to let your neighbor, your brother, your sister, your family, your coworkers continue the path they're walking when their end is destruction? Is it love? Love warns. I tell my children, don't play out in the street. Why? Because there's a Mack truck coming. Yeah. Yeah. I warn them because I love them. Now, there, there, there's something to how we do that. We're going to get there. Church, we are to warn we are to warn. We are to blow the trumpet. We are to speak the truth in love. There are some who will hear the warning. There are some who will hear you. Look at verse seven and eight. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. And his house was next door to the synagogue. I mean, let's just talk about how cool that is. All right, we're gonna shake my dust, my garments over here. I'm gonna go next door. And I'm still right here. Do you see that? He wasn't hiding from the Jews. He was still preaching the gospel. And what happened? Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, that's the person who, like, that would be Nick. That would be Chris. That would be your other elders who oversee the church. The ruler of the synagogue. Believed in the Lord together with his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Friends, as far as I can understand, that happened after he shook the dust. That that seems to be the order that happened here. So he left there, meaning he went next door, preached in the house of a Greek, a Gentile. He didn't pack up and move. He, He shook the dust and he stayed. And what was the result? Faith. You want to know what love is? Love is having a hard conversation with someone who disagrees with you, and still you love them. You serve them, and they know that you love and you serve them. We are in a culture where the culture would tell you, if you disagree with me, you don't. You don't love me. Are we going to give in to that? Church, is that true? Then don't cut them off. Love them. Pursue them. Die to yourself. Engage with them. Seek after them. How in the world does Crispus come to Christ? There had to have been a pursuit. The warning is real. Is the love real? That's the question. I yell when I'm excited. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. friends. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. How then will they call on them whom they have not believed? And how then are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Listen, the gospel must be preached. They will all not believe. But we're called to plant seeds. We're called to water. And guess who gives the growth? God. Trust God to do his work. Friends, is anyone's salvation based off of yours or my testimony, the power of our words, our ability to be persuasive? No, it is the work of God. And so we're to fear not. We are to fear not, and we're to walk by faith. All right, let's dig in here, because, because here's the thing, I, I get it, we can be hesitant, we can be hesitant, or even resistant, why are we hesitant or resistant to speaking the truth of the gospel? Because I, I hear it over and over again, I can't share the gospel because, well, my, my job, my job won't allow me. I'll get fired. These people won't listen to me. They will revile me. I'll be labeled a bigot. It won't be comfortable for me if I do so and then it's just going to be awkward. Who do you live for? That what you love. Who do you love? That's who you're going to speak about. Do you love these people? Do you love them? Paul, verse 9, the Lord came to him in a vision one night. My dreams are weird. They're never coherent. God didn't give me that gift. He said, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. Don't, don't let fear shut you up. For I am with you, and no one will attack you or to harm you. Paul was just attacked. Just look, scroll back. Just a few chapters. Scroll a few chapters forward. It happens again. But then he says this. For I have many in this city who are my people. Lacey, Washington. Timberline, Baptist. Hope, Fellowship. Hillsboro, Oregon. God has many in this city who are his people. Say that again. God has many in this city who are His people. The gates of hell shall not prevail. We are the ones who advance. Do not retreat, don't hide. Don't hide behind your comfort zone. Don't make decisions based in fear but in faith. God is at work. Jesus said, "For I have many in this city who are my people." Paul could have responded, "It sure doesn't look that way, God." It's Portland. It sure don't look that way. It's Seattle. It sure don't look that way. They're there. They're there. And look, I'm going to come back to it. If God is going to call you to go somewhere, he's going to draw you there. Okay? There's going to be an unmistakable, yes, God, this is where I'm going. This is where you're calling me. Listen to that. Don't listen to fear. Are you running to something or are you running away from something? That's the question you have to ask. And here's why. If you pack up and move, and look, we we we're, we're Christians in the great northwest. I mean, thank the Lord the sun came out so I remember why I live here, right? <laughs> but the political climate is hard. The social climate is hard. It's hard, right? I just let's just be honest. Well, what are we telling our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers if we say, you know what? We're leaving. Just because we don't like it here. Meh. We don't like the political climate here. We don't like the social climate here. Some of you squinging in your seats. What are you saying to them? What's the message they receive? You're not worth it. You're not worth me staying here. I'm leaving this God-forsaken town. I'm shaking the dust off of my sandals. God has not forsaken Corinth. God has not forsaken Portland. God has not forsaken Seattle. God has not forsaken Lacey. For he has many in this town, many in this city who are his people. Friend, and God will protect you. God is, his, his protection is sovereign. Do you know you're invincible until you're not? You're invincible. Invincible until God has determined it is time for you to come with me. Who can touch you until God determines it's time for you to come home? The body they may kill. Don't fear those who kill the body. That's all they can do. Fear him who could throw both body and soul into hell. Fear Him who loves you and knows every day of your life. Fear Him who knows the birds of the air when they rise, when they fall. Fear Him who clothes the flowers of the field. Fear Him. Love Him. God is the God of sovereign protection. Look at the end of verse 9 into verse 10. Go on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. I mean, Lystra, Paul's stoned. He goes back into town. Paul? You in your right mind, Paul? Is that safe, Paul? Friends, we we expect our missionaries in India to gather, don't we? We expect our missionaries in India to gather? Is it safe? No. No. Worship is not safe. Life is not safe. Friends, even, let me just say this. Because I've heard this a lot lately, and I, I want to just be really forthright and yet careful. Church is not safe. Here's what I mean by that. Y'all are a bunch of sinners, saved by grace, who are now saints, right? What makes you a saint? Yes. Yes the propitiatory blood of Jesus that has saved you. Are you perfect? No. Do you sin? Yes. Do you sin against each other? Yes. There is no safe place. Not even the church. And so this idea of dusting your your feet, your sandals, clapping them together, it goes for the church too. You can't leave the church. You're part of it. Can my thumb say, I don't like Bobby. I'm I mean, sorry, too many kids. <laughs> Secretly, I'm very lonely. Okay. You're part of the body. It's just not safe, but it's good. And God is using you and he's using the church and he's using everything in life to conform you to the image of his son. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Friends, God is sovereign. His protection over you is sovereign. Every step that you take is sovereignly ordained. Oh, he's good. And his salvation is sovereign. His call is irresistible. If you belong to him, you will come. If they belong to him, they will come. This is not the baseball field. This is more powerful than that. This is the voice of Jesus. John 10, my sheep know me, they hear my voice, and they follow me, and they come to me. And anyone who comes to me, I will not cast out. So here's the question, folks. What is our part? What is our part, church? How do we walk in this world? How do we walk in this Corinth? How do we walk in this Lacey, Washington, this Hillsboro, Oregon? How do we do that? How are we to speak the truth of God to a hardened, angry, hostile world? Build relationship. Be the pursuer. Bring them to your house. Okay, you can preach the gospel at your work. Invite them over for dinner. Show them you love them. Sit with them. Ask them questions. Friends, the front door to the church is your fire pit. It's your dinner table. It's your coffee shop. You, share, you will share the gospel with them because you love Jesus. Because it's going to come out of you. Because if you're loving them, they're going to see that and then they're going to ask you questions. I, how much time do I have? Five more minutes. Okay. Ho. Oh, oh. Ho. I'm coming back. We're doing part two. Okay. I just declared that. That's not true. (laughs) But now, Nick, it's on you, buddy. Hey, I'll just sum this up. And let me just tell you that I've seen this play out time and time again. I'm just going to tell you about my neighbor. I've been at Hope Fellowship five years. This Sunday we said, five years? just of God's faithfulness to us. And when I moved in, our church did not have a good reputation in our neighborhood. I live at the church. I live in the parsonage in the back. And Chris, I think you, you saw this one brother with me. You walked out and we walked back. And you're like, yeah, he's, uh, he doesn't want to be talked to. Saw him in the grocery store last night, gave him a hug. How? Honestly, it started with Smoked cheese. I took over to him the fragrance of Christ in smoked cheese. (laughs) I I kid you not. I just continued to pursue, and a lot of his responses are meh. Mm. Yeah, yeah, uh." they they weren't welcoming. But then, little by little, something happened. We began having a conversation. He told me, Bob, you know what? I don't care. Like, listen, you can believe whatever you want, but just don't don't you ever push on me your beliefs. Five minutes later, he asked, what do you believe? (laughs) I'm, I'm serious. This is like baffling to me. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm here. Here we go. This is the grace of God softening a heart. The heart of a man I wouldn't have assumed that I'd be sharing the gospel with. I shared it with him three times that night. Just the other day, I'm over there. His mom's there. His girlfriend, living girlfriend's out. Wonderful lady. I love her, actually. We're good friends, to the truth. At this point, we've had several conversations. He asked me, hey, what do you think God is like? I said, well, what do you think God is like? I said, he's like Zeus. You know, I picture this Zeus. You know, and we begin to have this conversation about God's power, but also his mercy and his grace. And it goes on for 15 minutes. And his mother's there witnessing this. I waved at him as I drove out this morning at 7 o'clock in the morning as he's sitting in his normal place in front of his garage. I don't know. I don't know if he's ever gonna to come to faith, but what I do know is he's heard the gospel and he knows I love him and I tell him that and he calls me his friend. He told me yesterday, where I ran my card into him because that's what men do. <laughs> At the grocery store, my wife was like, what are you doing? I'm just kidding, she, she knew what I was doing. <laughs> and I said, hey man, how you doing? And He goes, dude, honestly, oh, you know what? I need, I need confession, do you do confession? It's like, I'm Baptist, not Catholic. I mean, we believe that, you know, yes, you confess your sin. So, oh, man, oh, yeah. But here's the thing. There's a relationship there. We think very differently. But there's a relationship there on which the gospel can be shared. Don't abandon your city. Don't abandon your neighbors. Don't abandon the people that God has put in front of you to share the gospel. Speak the truth in love. Love them. Be intentional. Pour into them. God is good. God is faithful. It is his salvation. Period. The end. Amen? Amen. All right. Let me, let me pray. Lord, I know that your plan for each and every one of us is different, that you, you have ordered and set up our steps before us, oh God. And you, you put us, divinely put us in places, Lord, with the neighbors we have, with the people we have, and the work situations we have. And I also know that there is a time There is a time to leave. Paul was ushered out of cities. Paul was sent from town to town. Lord, I I pray that we as your people would follow your leading, your prompting, that we would act in faith and not in fear. Lord, that we would be a people who love you. Lord, and our life would be a, a mission that others would know you, that others would see the same love that we have, the same God that we have, this God become man because he loved us. You didn't look down and see all these wonderful, beautiful people who were so good, but you saw dirty sinners, rebellious people, and you had compassion. You had compassion on us because of your character, because of who you are, Lord, because God is love. Lord, may that vision of your Son be the very reason we love those around us, and may we love them and draw them into our homes, to our lives, to our hearts, Lord, in such a way that they would know and hear your gospel. Amen.